0: Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road.
1: Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis Tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis Tires deliver. Choose Maxis. tread victoriously.
0: Have you seen 4Low Magazine yet? 4Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel-drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Forlow is the magazine for you. Forlow cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit ForlowMagazine.com to order your subscription today. On this week's episode, my guest is a wife, a mother, small business owner, rock crawler, monster truck driver, YouTuber, and Instagrammer, as well as a longtime friend. Everybody's already probably guessing who it is, but it's Nicole Johnson. Nicole, how are you doing?
2: Hello, I'm doing really good. I'm super appreciative that you're having me on right now. I haven't talked to you in like a 100 years, so this should be fun.
0: Exactly. You know, I've, I've watched some of the stuff that you've done. I, I got to admit, I don't, I don't get a chance to watch everything um, with everybody, but I try to keep track what everybody's doing um, a little bit here and there. And uh, I'm looking forward to this
2: conversation. Yeah, me too. So ask away. What are we doing?
0: Okay. First thing I want to know is where were you born and raised?
2: I was born and raised in Oxnard, California, which is in Ventura County. If you're not familiar with that, it's on the coast between like LA and Santa Barbara. So the climate is awesome. It's always like 60s and 70s. Um, Lived there, you know, until I graduated high school. And because my parents divorced when I was really young, my dad was born and raised in Hawaii and I got to sort of split my time between California and Hawaii, which, you know, really rough.
1: Yeah. That's not bad.
2: (laughs) Like, like every summer and every other Christmas I was in Hawaii. So pretty much three months out of the year, you know, I never knew that California coasts were overcast June gloom. I never knew any of that because I was in Hawaii, you (laughs) know, on the beach. (laughs) It was really rough. And I, what's funny is, you know, my, my dad was from Kailua, which is a beautiful beach. But when I, you know, because I got so accustomed to that awesome beach, when I'd go home to California and go to the beach with friends, it sucked. It was like seaweed and tar and freezing cold. And now I'm living in Las Vegas going, I should have appreciated the beaches more
0: (laughs) in California. Absolutely. I went to to college in Santa Barbara, but we would. We'd surf um, Rincon and then yep. Ventura and yep. Oxnard because there was a nice break, offshore break out there.
2: Yeah. Did you go to Silver Strand? Yep. 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 So my husband Frank is from there, too. Okay. He's also from Oxnard. That's kind of where we met. So ah. that is where we met. Yeah. So
0: those early days of school, got to ask, were you a good student?
2: I was a good student. I've, I've just always been kind of a goody two shoes, you know? I mean— I was like in honors classes. I wasn't like in the AP stuff, which was the, the super nerd smart. I wasn't that level, but I was in honors and got, you know, I don't know what my GPA was. I was a good kid. Got into college, went to college, went to BYU actually. Right. And Utah, which is how I left California at 18. Went up to BYU and um, studied construction management. And it's a great school. Like, really good education out of there. Frank and I got married really young. We were 19. So I kind of had to drag his butt up to Utah. Um, and when we left, we both got jobs in the construction industry in Las Vegas. So we, you know, when I graduated college, we had sort of three job offers, Salt Lake, Las Vegas, and LA. And I thought for sure, I want to go back to LA. I mean, I, you know, had never planned on leaving California. And I think those were the good old days of California was, you know, before it became some of the issues that exist now. Right. And I never knew that, you you know, like growing up in California, we we sort of were a little snobbish, well, slash Hawaii about four seasons, like snow. Ooh, like Ooh, people who live in the snow, that must suck. You know, like I didn't know that four seasons is actually kind of cool, you know, because California is just so mild and I never really experienced any of that. So when I got up to college, I was like, oh, I don't want to stay here. This is really cold. Now I would totally, you know, live in a colder climate. And, and I think that'd be really cool to be up Here's some more mountains and stuff, but
0: so, so you had anyway. job offers, you had job offers in the in the construction industry. Yep. Okay. Yeah.
2: So I got a, you know, went and interviewed in LA and I realized it was the worst pay and the most traffic. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And Salt Lake, you know, I just didn't want to live in Salt Lake because I was my parents and everybody were still back in California. So it just wasn't attractive for me to stay there. And we took the job in Vegas because it was halfway home initially, it was just this temporary move. That was 96. We're (laughs) still here. So I keep thinking it's temporary.
0: (laughs) But we have been here ever since. Yeah, I don't think it's temporary.
2: I know. And the thing is, like, now our boys are graduated from college. Like, our boys went to school in Utah, graduated from Utah State University, and are now, you know, like, they're stuck in Utah. So Of course, uh, I think about, should we move? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Your roots
0: are there. You know, they may end up back in, in Vegas.
2: They're weird. They don't really think of Vegas like with this attachment, like you would think born and raised here. They just, I think there's a lot of, um, how do you say it? Like, I love Vegas and I believe in Vegas, but there is a lot of transient. There's a lot of people moving in and out and turnover and people who live in, in rentals and not necessarily in the same house for 20 or 30 years. So it, it's harder to have a community a community feel here. Sure. Um, I think our hockey team helps. Like we all love our Golden Knights. You know, our hockey team really helps. Well, and- now you
0: have the Raiders.
2: The, uh, you like the Raiders? <laughs> Come no, I'm not okay. a Raider fan.
0: I'm a Niner okay. season ticket holder. I have uh, okay. no love for the Raiders or Dallas Cowboys.
2: <laughs> well, kind, you know, ditto. A lot of the locals are not thrilled that the Raiders are here. Sure, it brings revenue. And it has, you know, with all of, especially, you know, F1 is here. We've got the Raiders. The, the Oakland A's are coming. We have a lot of... Things that are just going to continue to build our economy here, but not everybody likes the Raiders. So you know,
0: it's that whatever. prison mentality.
2: <laughs> I
0: don't know what Raider it is. fans are.
2: <laughs> when I grew up though in Oxnard, the Raiders would practice in Oxnard, right. and so it was really common to like see them running around. You know,
0: yeah, the Raiders were really transient with their with with their practice facilities. Um, at one time they they did it in Napa. And when Little Rich was growing up and playing football in Pop Warner, our our practice fields was their practice field.
1: Oh, and yeah, that,
0: cool. Where we played our games as well, home games. And, I mean, it was the greatest grass I've ever been on. But besides that, you know, the town in Napa really didn't like them there because there was always so many problems around them. I don't
2: know them. what it is. Yeah. It's- I don't know what it is. Maybe because they're raiders. <laughs> raiders are not nice people. Like they raid you. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I don't know yeah. what it is. It's not a very friendly, it's all about tough guy stuff. So, whatever. You would think I'd be more drawn to them, though, because they were the local team, you know? Right. They were, you know, practicing in the summer right there. But whatever. So, I don't know. I still see Vegas as, you know, there's a lot of benefits to living here. I mean, anywhere in town, you're 20 minutes from the airport. It's, it, we have so many people that come in and visit that it's nice we get to see a lot of people. Um it's easy for me to get to LA. I mean I'm 4 hours to LA. It's you know, it's easy f- centrally located around a lot of really great cars. We got a lot of car culture in the southwest, you know. True, very true.
0: So when you the were in, when you were in school, grade school, did you uh you know, you were a good student? Did you participate in like drama or <laughs> I band? Love-
2: or it was hilarious. Sports that you, the, or any of that? Dude, the first thing out of your mouth was drama. And when you started saying, Did you participate in? I was going back to my mind, junior high school. I was in drama. I was in drama. It's hard to believe, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> not really.
2: <laughs> it's not my fault. So I was in drama and I was in this, there was a, a like a speech competition and it wasn't like debate it was like you would prepare I don't know have these you know monologues and you would could go to these competitions and and I you know did good at that and I think you know fast forwarding to college I took a public speaking class and I think between all of that it's probably helped set me up for being able to talk to just about anybody now and and Large crowds, you know. I can address an audience and not feel nervous by that. A lot of people, you know, would rather be in a coffin than than yeah, a lot giving of the eulogy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah.
0: I've never had uh, that public problem. speaking.
2: Right. So uh, yeah, I was in drama in like junior high, and prior to that, I wasn't really in sports or anything. I wasn't one of those kids that you know started playing soccer at six or anything like that, and. I once I got to high school though, it was really fun. Like you didn't have to have any sports, you know, background to be able to go try out for the volleyball team and and they, you know, softball and tennis and so I played all of those in high school just yeah, not very good. We always got our butts kicked by Santa Barbara in volleyball and and tennis if you can imagine, obviously. <laughs> Santa Barbara's really good at that stuff. Right. Um but it was fun and it was all just like you know low key nothing nothing super competitive okay. but i did go to high school with a couple of people who ended up being very very famous athletes um i don't know if you recall marion jones she was an olympic runner right and she was in high school with me and she went on to do very very well in the olympics yep and and my buddy, Dimitri Young, went on to play professional baseball, and he lived across the street from us. So it was kind of cool. We had some really cool athletes in our community. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: What about in college? Was it just strictly school?
2: So I took a class that was um, out- outdoor rec, uh, like rec management, recreation management, and we got to go, like, spelunking. You know, does that count?
1: <laughs> we,
2: we, we did some hiking and spelunking. And no, I just, you know, I was, I was just a nerd. So in college, Frank and I getting, being married really young, had an opportunity to buy a house in Bountiful, Utah, which is like, it was 114 miles round trip to get to Provo to go to BYU. But we bought this house because he had a job about 15 minutes north of there in a little town called Farming Farmington, Utah. And I mean, look back and this house was $107,000. Like it was Nothing by comparison, right? We right. all should have kept it. But I commuted and I went to school for, you know, year round, fall, winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer, so I could graduate. So I didn't have time for a lot of extra stuff. Right. I drove every day for two years from the time we had bought this house, 114 miles round trip every day to wow. get down through in the fall, winter, spring, and summer through bad weather and everything in a little red 89 Dodge Colt. And, (laughs) you know, it seems dangerous now. We didn't have cell phones, you know? So I was really focused on getting through. And I graduated in four years. And most people, you know, it's in in the engineering program. Construction management is part of the engineering program. And most people, it's about a five-year degree. And I did it in four. And a big thing for me was finishing as a married woman, because when I decided to get married at 19, my stepdad was like, you know, are you, sh- is this the right thing? Are you making the right choice? And he said, statistically, girls who get married young don't finish college. Right. And that was a hundred percent fuel for me to, to prove him wrong. And it wasn't that he wasn't a supporter. He was absolutely a supporter. He was super proud of me. And completely, I couldn't have gotten through without, without you know, my parents' support. But he's right. He wasn't sugarcoating it. The statistics, odds are against you when you get married at 19. So I was kind of hellbent on that. And um, I did it, you know. Don't that's, regret that.
0: That That's a great accomplishment. It really is. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of work.
0: So then when you got to Vegas... You got uh, you went to work for a construction company.
2: Yeah, Martin Harris Construction, which is now a pretty good size contractor here in Las Vegas, was you know building some casino additions, and I got hired as a project engineer, and we were on the Fitzgeralds Casino, and there was a job trailer out in the kind of the alleyway, and I would run around at the job site with a hard hat and a clipboard, and they hired Frank too, and he was a union carpenter. So I'd walk around the job site, take notes, whatever. Look important, I guess. And <laughs> sometimes the the guys wouldn't know that that Frank was my husband, or I should say that I was his wife. So as I would walk past, sometimes the other guys might start to to cat make called. a little cat. Yes, exactly. Construction and workers.
0: Would-
2: yes, exactly. And Frank would just. It was really cute because he would stand up and be like, that's my wife, you know, and like shut them down really fast. (laughs) So he would protect me, I guess. And uh, we did that for a couple of years and we always wanted to go out on our own. So after having enough supervision experience under our belt, we took the contractor's license tests and, you know, have had a general contractor's license since the year 2000, actually in Las Vegas. So... Initially, in Las Vegas, when you're taking the examinations, there's a law exam, you know, like a construction law exam, right. and a trade exam, all about the field. So, you know, being 50-50 partners here, he took the trade exam, I took the law exam, and we were on the license jointly. Since then, he had um, he's actually recently gone to work for one of his clients and um, had a reason to be on his uh, another l- contractor's license for that builder. And so that meant in order for us to have our contractor's license, if he left the license, remember he was the trade qualifier, that meant I had to take that examination and qualify as well. So I'm now full-fledged. I have, I'm the person on our contractor's license. I've you know passed the trade exam. So, so
0: you were able to find in. the box of toenails in the construction trailer.
2: The box of toenails. What does that mean? <laughs> I know what a toenail is in construction terms. I do know, but that's a funny statement. We hit, <laughs> the box of toenails. When
0: when I was yes. a contractor here in California, we had a. Uh, I would always, you know, I'd come out of the job. I had I'd normally have three job sites going at once, and I'd walk out, and inevitably somebody would be in the in the supply trailer. Typically, the you know the new kid. Yeah. Summer help or whatever, and the other guys would be going, "Oh, you know, Rich is here," and I'm like, "All right, what's going on?" And well, you know, we sent Johnny in to to find the box of toenails. That's funny. Was like, Great <laughs> board stretchers too. You
2: know, I mean, that's right. <laughs> that's funny. That's pretty funny.
0: So, so you're yeah. you're full fledged now.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, we we don't operate the company to the level that we did prior to the economy crashing Right. that, you know, all the way up until that point we were completely, that's what we did. That was our full-time, you know, job together, ran our own construction company, built high-end custom homes, tenant improvements. And then, you know, the economy crashed. All of our subs went out of business. All of them went bankrupt. And you're talking 2008,
0: 2009.
2: Yes, exactly. So 2008, those banks collapsed and we had forecasted you know pre- pretty good we had jobs under contract that were going to be breaking in 2009 and we had some pretty good forecasts and our our gross income was reduced by 90% by the time 2009 ended and it was just really hard to continue to hang on. By 2012, we actually opened up a gun shop. There wasn't a lot of construction going on. And Frank had the skills of, you know, fabricating because of, you know, our, our, our rock crawling days. You right. know, He knew how to weld. He had actually worked as a certified welder for many years. And he had, you know, a, a mill and a lathe. He was a hunter. It seemed perfectly natural for him to study some gunsmithing. So he studied gunsmithing, and and we did that for a while till about 2019, and had a had a gun shop. And let me tell you, retail gun stuff sucks. Don't go into re- retail in general. Stinks, man. If you want right. some freedom in your life, do not open a retail store because you have to be there. <laughs> And that's the hardest part.
0: Right. And and then the other part is you have to deal with walk-in customers.
2: And if you're in the gun business and you're close to California, who shows up on a Saturday? People who can't buy your guns because they're from California. They just want to come in and touch the product, you know, look at it, whatever. And then you don't actually sell anything. And there's so much online competition. I feel, you know, online sales has really destroyed small mom and pop brick and mortar stores.
0: Well, you know, so, it, it's Walmart ruined main street and the mm-hmm. internet almost ruined Walmart, but did well, enter, did, did destroy a lot of companies.
2: Yeah. There's, it's really hard. If you ever wanted something, needed something right now, something very specific that you knew there used to be like, we used to have like a Fry's electronics. You could run in there and get anything nerdy you needed for your computer. Now we don't even have that. So good luck trying to get whatever you need right now. You know, there's just not stores when you need them, and forget about if you want to go shopping. There's no clothes. Come on, big. I know you're like shopping all the time.
0: Oh yeah, that's me.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So Carhartt. Anyhow, the gut. You know, Frank is a very, very skilled craftsman and like an artist. You know, I think his ability to repair and customize and really do some great work. You know, on on firearms is, is awesome, but very difficult to try and make a living doing that. So once construction sort of came back into full swing, he was just getting pulled by so many people that were like, Hey, come, come run this job for me. Come run that job for me. And finally it just made more sense. So he we went back into construction and, uh, probably about 20, Did you
0: guys close the gun store down or did you sell it?
2: We didn't sell it. No, we just closed it. It was just like, I just want out, you know, we had no debt, which is great. We didn't owe anybody anything and we just wanted out. So shut that down and moved on. And I do not regret it at all. There's also, you know, a lot of liabilities to owning a gun shop as we, see every time there is a tragedy out there, some sort of a mass shooting, you know, some there, do you recall the Sandy Hook shooting in 2012? Oh yeah. So, you know, I don't specifically know the details about the lawsuits that ensued after that, but apparently there was a a judge that had ruled it was okay to sue the manufacturers. That's not okay by me because we were a manufacturer and that's one of the things that we said we just want out of this we don't want the liability
0: blaming the the gun manufacturer is is ridiculous
2: yeah and you know we we're just enthusiasts we we just love to you know target shoot and and frank's a hunter and you know, law-abiding citizens. I don't want to talk too much about the politics of it, but I just know that that was a major reason for shutting it down. And not even intending to sell it, just close this beast down. We're not interested, you know, and and move on. Um, but um, we did have a lot of fun, and and I actually, you know, we did go target shooting a lot, and so I actually learned how to, you know, I can. Break down and clean a gun, and it's fun to target shoe. I don't have anything against any of that. That's really fun.
0: Cool. Still doing it?
2: Yeah. Uh, Lately, ammo is expensive, so we hoard that sort of thing. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Don't use your ammo. (laughs) Let's
0: let's talk about getting into off-roading. How did that all come about?
2: So going back to when I met Frank and we were married, his daily driver was a 72 FJ40 with a Chevy 350 in it. And he had big curly hair and he was a surfer and he a land cruiser. Like, really? That's it. We're getting married. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So we moved to Utah, obviously really good wheeling up there. Um, And then when we moved to Vegas, we met the folks in the land cruiser club. Frank um, became the president, actually, of the Southern Nevada Land Cruiser Association. And that's where we met Dustin Webster. So Dustin and Becca... Their son Chase was four months old when we met them. And that was before our kids were even born. And as you and I know, Dustin and Becca were awesome competitors in We Rock and very well known on the Red Bull rock curling team. And we all became really good wheeling buddies. So I think just by being exposed to, you know, people who also wanted to go wheeling, it just you know Frank, Frank and Dustin actually. Frank often would just take off and go break trails around Vegas, and that's how he how he actually met Dustin. Was out on a trail one day. They're both in Land Cruisers trying to break a new trail. So yes. you know, okay. yeah. And that, as you and I know, turned into just years of com- competition. Frank started competing with Dustin. Dustin had his Red Bull sponsorship, and pitched the idea, "Hey, would you sponsor our Jeep?" and that was like 98 perhaps i you know i'm trying to remember exactly it was probably around 98 and you know they got you know frank was always the spotter really good on the outside of the car looking at the suspension understanding if it was going to unload or if it would hold and and after a little while of course we trail wheeled as a family we camped we went to moab we did all of these things but primarily I was on the sidelines during those early years. And if you recall back from the uh, Pirate 4x4 days before everybody moved over to social media, I, my handle was Spotter's Wife because I was Frank's wife and he was the spotter. It made sense. And by 2004, I was asked to drive in an all-women's competition and won that event and sort of was like, hey, Frank, this is so much fun. Let's go compete kind of eventually pulled him away from, uh, you know, Dustin and Becca's team and we just started our own thing. And I recall going up to um, Chris Bolger, who at the time was the rep for Pro Comp Tires and Dustin and Becca had been running Pro Comp Tires and they had these stickies and I was so jealous because they were such, you know, so much better than just a DOT tire. And so I remember coming up to Chris Bolger one day, it was probably... 2006 and i said what's it gonna take to get a set of these stickies i mean these are really expensive tires i go what's it gonna take to get a set of these stickies for my buggy and he goes you gotta just run a whole season i'm like really and that's how i started (laughs) I go, okay you know i'll i'll go run a season if i can get some tires and that's kind of how it started you know and i don't know it just uh It's easy to let it become an addiction.
0: (laughs) Right. Right.
2: And how old, let's see, how old was Little Rich back then?
0: Little Rich graduated high school in 2002, I believe.
2: Okay. So he was pretty young. I remembered seeing him, you know, when Frank was spotting, you know, whatever. Right. When he was younger. But anyway, he... Seems like 100 years ago, man. It so does. So long ago. And we were getting our butts kicked. You know, the first, I, I had this 91 YJ that was still running the frame rails from the YJ, but Frank had kind of, we, we bought it from Brandon Gillen, um, who uh, in 2002, it was a winning car. But by 2006, you know, trying to compete with it, seven, it was getting, it was comp- Completely outclassed. Yeah. And Frank had come turn it into a four seater so we could take the kids to Moab. They were in, you know, very, they were still pretty young. in 2006, they were, you know, six and eight years old. And it just was getting, you know, we, we didn't place any better than 14th, but that's probably what sparked us really looking at Shannon Campbell's buggy. And That buggy that we bought was so capable. I mean, it it outdrove me every time. It was, you know, easily capable of winning every single time. It was a very, very good car. And Shannon would always call me because he would forget measurements on it and he wanted to try and recreate it. He never wrote anything down, which is hilarious. Right. (laughs) He would just whip out a car in like, oh, you know, 20 minutes (laughs) and it would win. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Such a skilled dude.
0: I know that, so that when uh, when Walker Evans had him build a car, he brought up all these parts and to Shannon's shop, and Shannon was like, "Well, okay, where's you know, where's the engine? Where's the transfer case? Well, you know, I'll bring those up next time." And he goes, "Oh no, I I need them now because you haven't even started bending too. And He goes, "I'll need them now." So he sent Walker back to to L.A. By the time Walker got back, he already had the chassis done.
2: Oh, my god! And was ready
0: to put that stuff, you know. I mean, that's how fast they could work. Incredible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Shannon's ability to whip out a car is is incredible. Just amazing. Amazing. Yep. So that car was, you know, it it was not an inexpensive purchase. And yet, by today's standards, it would be super cheap. But it was what really changed um, the, you know, how how people were looking at what we were trying to do because it was a competitive car and we were now nipping at the heels of some of the best drivers on the planet. You know, I was never, you know, super top in the game, but we were getting some podiums and we were consistently, you know, I, I I think I beat everybody at least on one day. I could never always hold it together for two <laughs> days in a row, but it, it was um what sort of helped get us some good media and that media press kit that I eventually ended up building was what helped launch me into monster trucks because we'd already gotten some good eyeballs on us and I you know I I guess if you're listening to this and you don't know this what I don't want you to think is Oh, she only got a lot of attention cuz she's a girl because we worked our butts off to get any bit of attention that we had. And that goes back to you know making sure that our team always looked professional, that our car was clean. I worked hard to to repair that car and make the car look good. Frank was always in charge of like the mechanical stuff. I was in charge of what I said, blame, the you- body, the paint. I did all of that myself.
0: Right. Do you do you think that that your time around the Websters helped with that to get the understanding cuz you know they Dustin and Becca were truly consummate professionals. You know, they were always prepared, they were always they they always looked, you know, they were to the nines, For sure. you might say. And you know other teams would come out there and and couldn't understand why why they pulled in so much media when they were not winning and why they could get the sponsorship when they were not winning all the time 100% you know? and,
2: 100% so my yeah. example was you know that they showed up in team uniforms yeah. and everybody was branded they you know they put out press releases they reached out ahead of time to journalists to say hey would you like to come to this event? We're going to be there. So it isn't any accident that they got good media. Right, You have to go seek that. You, you could just show up and hope somebody will take your picture and hope it'll land you on the cover of a magazine. Or you could reach out to that journalist and say, hey, we're going to be at this event. Would you like to come out and see what it's about? Absolutely. Who do you think they're going to take a picture of?
0: That's lacking so, now.
2: Well, but, true, but this sport. is back this is back then. And this is when you were still putting out press releases and a lot of teams weren't putting out press releases. So a hundred percent of that example, w- absolutely was what they did. And if you see something that works for somebody else, m- m- mimic what they're doing until you can figure it out. You know, I think that was a massive, um, you know, we, we just, leapfrogged into the, what we thought was the right way to do it because we had had an example shown to us. And it was, and a a lot of people, you know, on the subject of sponsorship think that it's just, Hey, pay me this. I'll put your sticker on my car. There are a lot of obligations to massaging that relationship and trying to bring a return on investment to a sponsor, understanding that and going out of your way for them and really working with people you want to work with you know, is important. It doesn't always make sense if, let's just say you could get a free whatever for your car and it's like a $400 item. Now, this isn't to say like, I know not everybody is just made of money. $400 might be a massive amount of money to somebody, but what is the obligation? If you get a free $400 item to try and give a return on investment to that sponsor, it might be cheaper to just buy the item and not have the obligation. So think about who you really want to align with because you're going to go put a lot of time into that relationship hopefully if you're doing it right you know true um but i think that because they did put a lot of time into their relationships i we saw that and we we always tried to look the look probably bigger than our britches we always tried to look like we were a professional team people didn't know we were just wrenching in our garage they thought we must have had a shop somewhere no we're just pulling all-nighters and ordering pizza for the kids because we're still in the garage at 11 o'clock at night, and they got school tomorrow, you know? Right. Like, they didn't know how we were doing it, but we worked really hard, and none of it just fell in our lap, you know?
0: True. You guys had, you had, one of your big ones was Kicker, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, uh, Kicker came on board, and this is a very good example probably of, uh, you know, choosing a sponsor w- wisely, because uh, I think that their, you know, reputation is um, very high. They came on board very early. We, probably around 2007. It was before, it was probably before my Campbell buggy. Uh, I totally can't remember. It's not like I wrote it all down exactly what was happening. But they, um, you know, initially they, they gave me product and a little bit of money. Um, but we worked really hard to try and build, you know, a partnership with them. And to this day, people still know that I was with Kicker, that I'm still with Kicker. They have supported me on my channel. And though though none of it is like life-changing dollar amounts, I do have to say that, you know, when the economy crashed and so much of that construction tanked, we were, you know, not doing very well for a time and financially. And there was a time when we could not buy groceries and kicker came to the plate. I wasn't competing and they came to the plate and still helped us out. So I forever will appreciate them and they, you know, don't necessarily have to pay me for me to say great things about them because there are many years where with all I had was a relationship, you know, it, it wasn't all about money and because they they came to my aid when I needed it, you know. And and they're, that's they're why family. I
0: don't like I don't like the term sponsor. Like Mm-mm. the term marketing partner because yep. it truly is a partnership on on them helping you and you helping them.
2: Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yep. It's a relationship. That's why I say, you know, pick pick who you want to work with wisely because hopefully, you know, all the effort that you put into it is will be worth it and it's it's not that you're, you know, it, don't get me wrong. Free parts are awesome, and sometimes that's what you got to do to just get started. But eventually, you'll have to weigh: is that worth it? You know, or should I just free up some of my time by omitting that obligation? And maybe just it's worth it to just pay for this part and not take on that obligation because I certainly don't want to take on a part that I can't give an ROI to somebody. Right? You know? Yeah. Right. And I don't think a lot of people talk about that part of they don't you know they don't. sponsorship. They don't talk about. Hey, maybe turning something down because you're going to just take on another obligation. Do you really have time for that to do it properly?
0: True. It's like buying another job.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That $400 part is going to cost you how many hours to really get that relationship where it needs to be just yeah. by the part, what's, you know, yeah,
0: what's your time worth.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So,
0: so then from rock crawling, um, you went, uh, you went racing.
2: Well, you know, we did, we were all kind of dabbling in KOH in those early days. And it sort of, those blend, those years are all blended together. You know, it wasn't like a distinct, go do this, then go do that. It was all concurrent. So did King of the Hammers for 2008, nine and 10. And that's when it was just in its infancy, of course. And it just really started changing super fast. And we knew we could not be competitive without building a specific car. Today, you have to have a purpose built car. And it was just getting that way very quickly. Um, So what I did want to do, though, was I loved the short course racing. I loved watching the Lucas Oil short course racing. And it was televised. I was really jazzed to try and go do that. And so we bought a 1600 buggy and only raced it a couple of times. I, you know, a couple of times went out and drove a little, um, one of those little super lights, which you could rent from John Hera. And um, went up to Reno area and played around on a track with Ricky Johnson a couple of times. You know him mentoring me a few times, but never really did the full series. I was trying. It's just a lot of money, and I think you know that that was fast forward to t- 2010 when I was at SEMA and I was r- I was really trying to find the enough sponsorship. To go run, I really wanted to try my hand at a full season in a televised class at Lucas Oil, and that's when everything changed because I met Dennis Anderson, and I he's you know gravedigger driver and creator, and I met him and his son Ryan, and you know Dennis had said, "Hey." You know they're looking for female drivers. You're probably not too late. They had tryouts like two weeks ago, and I said, Dennis, uh, if they had tryouts two weeks ago, I'm two weeks too late.
1: <laughs> right, like, duh.
2: <laughs> and um, they made a special test session for for me within about two weeks of meeting. Uh, it, and when I say they, it wasn't that Dennis did this. It was the bosses. You know, Monster Jam's owned by Feld Motorsports. Right. So the the bosses invited me to come out. And test drive, and it was me and Todd Laduke, and at a private test session, we were driving one of the Gravedigger trucks. So my first truck I ever drove was a Gravedigger, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and we test drove for two days, and they offered us both jobs. And I had never really considered that that opportunity. It was literally just, wow! I I sort of passed the test, and they offered me the job, and I was. Excited and nervous and terrified and regretful and all these things that go on in your head after you say yes to something like that, because I had six weeks to stew on that. Six weeks from the time I test drove until I was in a show. I only had ever driven for two days in a huge field in North Carolina at Dennis's property. And then my very first show, which is day three of driving, is in a teeny tiny little arena in Trenton, New Jersey. And they're sitting in the driver's meeting and they go, all right. The hockey dashers are going to be up during this show. I didn't even know what that meant. I'd never been to a show. I'd never been to a hockey game at that point. <laughs> and the dashers are like the little four-foot wall that goes all the way around the ice skating rink, and they've got sponsor logos. And sometimes they're LED. You know, sometimes they light up, and those are very, very expensive.
1: not So it. in the
2: drivers' meeting, they say, "Okay, in this building, you know, they they uh, they're going to keep the dashers up." Don't hit a dasher or, you know, it's a very, very expensive repair. One of those monster truck tires, 67 inches tall. Do not tap a dasher. So what do you think Nicole Johnson's going to do on day three of driving, having only driven in a giant field in North Carolina?
0: Did you mash?
2: Um, I'm not to hit a dasher, but hey, <laughs> <laughs> live and learn, right? There's oh, no that's way what you I meant knew.
0: by a dasher. <laughs> the, uh,
2: yeah. Oh, I now I know what a dasher is. Well, you know, you're turning your rear steer. You got to know where that rear is. It's going to kick out like a forklift. I don't exactly recall which tire hit it, and it. No, it wasn't massive damage. But the point is, if you tap it, you're in trouble. And I, but I won racing, so uh, I felt like it made up for it. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So what
0: what was what was the test the, the test consist consist of? Did was it just get out there oh. and, and drive the thing around and try to do you know some jumps and stuff and see if you could hang?
2: Kind of, but they they've got an instructor with you. I remember when they called me after a couple of days after SEMA, they said, "Hey, we'd like to get you out to North Carolina. Are you interested in test driving?" And I said, first thing I said is, are you going to teach me how to drive this? I've I've never been in one. Like it's not like I have one in my backyard. Are you going to teach me how to drive it?" And They said, "Absolutely, you'll have an instructor." So. So to to describe the inside of the cab, you sit in the center of the chassis. You're not to the left like you would be in a normal car. And you have a steering wheel, which you're going to operate with your left hand. And you have an upright piece of tubing with a little toggle switch on the top of it that's right about where your right hand is going to be adjacent to the steering wheel. Okay. And the little toggle switch is going to operate the rear steer. Now, You and I have been around rear steer for a really long time, but typically in competition rock crawling, if you push the little button to the left, your tire is going to kick to the left, which means you're eventually going to turn right Right, if you're on flat ground because it's a forklift. In rock crawling, it's all about precision. I need my tire to go this direction. In a monster truck, they just set it up backwards. So, you what's cool is you don't have to think about where's my tire going. If I want to turn to the left, I push the button to the left, the tire kicks to the right. So, the very first thing you're going to do is just maybe do some figure eights with only rear steer, and maybe then adding in some front steering. You're just going to feel how that is, you know. And it's a toggle switch that self centers, there's a pump, and so you if you, if you push it and just need to do a turn, then you just let go and it self centers right back and auto corrects. Well, if you're going to do a donut, there's a little switch that you can turn off the pump. So you would just turn it to full stop, turn off the pump so that you don't burn up the pump and just set it and forget it and just hold it and floor it. And you're doing a donut, you know, so it's just holding it open and then you could either manually control it if you really wanted to, or just flip back on the auto center, boom, they come. It takes about one, one thousand, two, one thousand three for the for, for it to go from full stop all the way back to center. So you kind of learn like how much time it takes you for the car to center back up, because you can't see those tires. You're really driving by feel when you're using rear steer. Um, so that's kind of the first thing you do is just play around and do some figure eights. Okay, you got that, and then we're going to do a whole shot, and so. You know, your instructor is just standing there and you're just going to pretend you're drag racing. And he goes, All right. So when I lower my arm, he's just going to have his arm in the air. And he goes, When I lower my arm, floor it and go about, you know, to there, 20 feet. Well, 1500 horsepower. <laughs> when you floor it, it's going to have some torque squat. It's a rear engine. It's just going to squat down and it's going to feel different than probably anything you've ever done if you've never done that. And I think that's probably a little test right away because people who lift and don't get through that first 20 feet are probably not quite set out for it, you know, because your instinct might be to go, Holy crap, and lift off that throttle. So just floor it, just drive it 20 feet. Okay, cool. Do that a couple of times. Okay, cool. That would just simulate a drag race, you know, a, a, in like an arena a straight line drag race. Well, but a straight line drag race with a monster truck would be awfully boring if there wasn't an obstacle. <laughs> right. Right. So, so your next thing you're going to do is they have a little mound of dirt about only two, three feet high, just a little bump, like a speed bump. And you're going to do a whole shot, but 10 feet in front of the truck is a little bump. So now floor it going right at that bump. <laughs> do you know what happens?
0: It lifts off.
2: <laughs> your truck will be 10 feet in the air right now, <laughs> you know? it's awesome. Boom. You just jump into the air now you got to land it without breaking all your gears and every, you know, you just, you just got to get through that. And if you can handle that, now we're going to put you with a few more stunts. And by the end of the second day, we learned to go diagonal off of the big ramp, you know, the big ramp that's, you know, the the height, more than the length of the truck, you right. know, and you're driving up this, Huge thing getting some big air and going diagonal off of it and landing one, two, three, four like that, not just straight on two tires or two, four tires, you know. So, um, that's it. You just do that for about two days and then you go get into the compi- com confines of a tiny little arena and try not to hit <laughs> <in> a dash.
0: <laughs> right.
2: Well, uh, okay. Everybody's gonna learn somehow. And I eventually learned where the corner of that truck was, but they certainly didn't know it with a six week gap in between two days driving in a field. But you learn, you just, the only way you can do it is just to do it. And it's, those days was very expensive to practice. They didn't get drivers to practice. And, you know, after, by the time I left, like that last year or so that I was there, We would go take an entire week and go out to Chicago to Tom Mentz's place, the driver of the Max D truck. He lived in a big cornfield. He had a huge track at his place. And so we could go practice for a week and you'd really hone your skills and come out of that going, "Wow, I had more seat time in one week here than I'd get in an entire season. So you'd come out of it a much better driver. And now they absolutely do that with the drivers and you can see it because even the brand new rookies are able to do some really great stunts and tricks that we just never had an opportunity to practice or try because we were just, uh, the only seat time we got was in a three minute show. You know, you're driving for three minutes. That's it. You know, you go do racing, you might whip off some donuts. You have freestyle. That's two minutes. You're, you're driving for maybe three, four minutes a week, you know, a show. And so it's a very, takes a very long time to feel proficient in a monster truck right. at that pace.
0: Well, anything.
2: Yeah. Anything,
0: you know, so, just a rear steer buggy on a rock crawling course, you know, just absolutely. three minutes at a time is not going to get you very much.
2: No. And it was, I feel, uh, it was, a. Uh, it was like you get thrown into the fire. You are a lobster in the boiling water. You know what I mean? <laughs> just figure it <laughs> out right now. <laughs> it was, um, it was violent. You know, you, you learn, how to dial in your safety gear. Sometimes some hits were better than others, you know, and you got flipped around like a rag doll often. And eventually you go, wow, my body, you know, if I want my body to be all destroyed. So I did it six years and I got to travel the country. I got to go all over the world. And it was cool.
0: Sign autographs, get pictures taken.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny. You know, part of the job is, is signing autographs and honestly it's you can't let it go to your head because one time I took my son with me to a show he was in high school and we put a crew shirt on him so he's running around with the Scooby-Doo crew shirt you know I was the original driver of the Scooby-Doo truck right. and people were coming up to him to get his autograph it was it's not personal you wear the crew shirt the little kid wants you to sign their stuff so right. One thing you can't let it do is go to your head. You're there to do a job. Part of the job is to sell merchandise. If you're signing something, parents are more likely to buy the merchandise for their children because that's what the whole point of the show is. And so I, I didn't ever let it go to my head, but I've literally signed. I could never, if I tried, figure out how many autographs I've signed. Thousands and thousands. You know, you, you would just be signing For an hour during a pit party, an hour post show. And sometimes you were doing, you know, three to five shows a weekend and multiple, you know, every single weekend going to show. It's impossible to know how many we've ever signed, but it wasn't personal. Nobody was running up to me at Costco and asking for an autograph. You know what I mean? Really? No. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody. (laughs) So it's just part of the gig, you know?
0: Right. So, what was it like doing the backflip for the first time?
2: Well, it's funny because prior to that, I had never had the green light. You know, there's a, it, no, Monster Jam is not staged. However, if out of 16 drivers, every single driver is going to attempt a backflip, the show's going to get pretty stale fast. So, during the driver's meetings, they would typically say, Hey, there's three of you authorized to do a backflip and you know what order you're going out and that's it and, and that's it so maybe somebody early on maybe somebody in the middle of the show and certainly by the end of the show somebody's going to do a backflip and that's entertainment but it was world finals in 2014 in Las Vegas it's my hometown you know my my dad had died of cancer 4 years earlier and my husband's dad frank's dad was in hospice about to pass from ca- cancer and uh, it was the First time that during a driver's meeting, they said, hey, you guys all have a green light to do whatever you want. And we all kind of quickly like shot eyes at each other, like looking around the room, like, oh, my gosh, we can do anything we want. We've never been told that. (laughs) So I was teammates with Dennis Anderson at the time. And I come up to him, you know, before the show. And I said, hey, I'm, you know, we're in our trailer. And I said, I'm considering doing the backflip tonight. And I really wanted to dedicate it, you know, to our dads because I knew Frank's dad was about to die. And I just felt like if I'm going to do it, I want to do it. It's for the dads. And I said, what do you, you have any advice for me? I'm thinking of doing the backflip. And he said, commit. And it's like this huge life lesson ever since then. He said, commit. He didn't elaborate. He didn't say a whole sentence. He said one word. And I knew what it meant because I already understood or thought I understood by watching a couple of guys who'd already done it, like what the mechanics were. And here's, here's how you do it. You know, at the time they had a connex box, a metal shipping container today, they're building the ramps out of dirt. But back then there was a shipping container and they had a very small dirt transition. So you can get your tires up on it. Maybe a little two feet of a 45 degree angle. Right. Right. And I watched guys doing it and they didn't approach really fast. You have to approach kind of slow. And then when the tires would get on the wall, I would just watch the throttle, listen, watch what they're doing, and they would floor it. Okay, they're flooring it. And then you'd watch. And what happens is every wheel and tire is 700 pounds. So all that rotating mass, you better light it up and don't lift the throttle. That's what commit means. Don't lift the throttle because it's now going to climb the wall, the the box will cave in a little with the weight of the truck and become an arc, and keep going. Cause it's now the rear is climbing, keep going. And all those wheels and tires are floored. You're in second gear and you know, just floored and they are just pulling that truck around in a circle in an arch. And you just look for the ground and you're still floored and you're in the air and you can hear the motor what, you know, come up higher because you're not on the ground anymore. It's over, you know, trying to over rev at this point. And then when you see the ground, you know, when you're about to hit it, you just hit the brakes and it it'll stop the truck from bouncing and lending you on your lid, you know? And that's it. And it was like eight seconds. And sounds easy. It's, the, it's very easy. <laughs> it's the mental as that's as long not. as you commit. The only thing it is, I mean, it takes zero physical ability whatsoever. It does not matter what gender you are. It is push the throttle, look for the ground, push the brake. That's it. So it's not about, you know, it has nothing to do with gender or physical fitness. And it's wrapping your head around doing it, you know, because I did, I have seen guys who didn't land correctly and they broke their neck because if you land on your roof, who knows what's going to happen? You know, there's no suspension. It might cave in. You just don't know what's going to happen. So, um, it's just wrapping your head around it and don't lift, you know, it's crazy.
0: So you went in and didn't lift.
2: I didn't lift. And there's a, there's a GoPro, there's a video out there. There was a GoPro on me in the inside. And and there's like a video showing my eyeballs and they're like enormous. (laughs) 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 because your whole universe is moving around you. You're stationary in the truck. The crowd is now upside down. You can see it in your peripheral vision that the, that the crowd just went upside down. It's really weird. And now you're, you're looking for the ground. Oh, there's the ground. At one point you're hundred percent, you know, perpendicular to the ground, vertical nose down at one point in that arch. And that's crazy too.
0: (laughs) So so you you had a little bit of experience with getting vertical and inverted rock crawling, didn't you?
2: At, at your events. Dude, this is the <laughs> funniest thing. I go the first time I rolled a monster truck, I get out of the truck and I you know, get we kind of walk backstage and chatting with other drivers and this this older dude, I don't even remember who it was. He was An an independent monster truck driver, and he was older, gray-haired, whatever. And obviously, he'd been doing this 100 years. And I'm totally rookie, right? And I rolled it. And I get out, and he goes, "Ah, all macho. And he goes, so, what's your first rollover feel like? And I go, you have no idea, but this is not my first rollover. I have rolled over so many times, I can't even count. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) It was nothing to me to roll a truck because... I I actually thought of you, you know, I thought you guys have no idea. I have, (laughs) I have, I have burst into flames. I've been vertical. I've been upside down. I've done all these things. So it didn't feel any different being in a monster truck, you know, and being vertical is just, I think wheelies are cool. You know, wheelies are like trying to get that truck as vertical as you can. And I've like popped it up and sat it on the tailgate before. That's kind of cool. Right. You know, and you just tap the brake and it'll come down. It'll, you know it's that's kind of a weird feeling. Cause you're literally just laid back <laughs> vertical looking sky. Uh-huh. Yep. Looking at the sky. One time I, one time I jumped and I remember at the driver's meeting, they said, Hey, just so you guys know that like, we're going to, after racing, we're going to push up one of the racing lanes and make it a little steeper, like a lot steeper. So when you guys hit that in freestyle, be aware that it's going to be a lot steeper than it was during racing. So what did Nicole do? Forget all that and hit it really hard during freestyle <laughs> and that truck went so high in the air and was hanging in the air for so long. You know, when you're when you're jumping just like if you're in a motorcycle, you're going to wrap the throttle to keep the tires moving so that when you land, you match the speed of you know, so you're not going to break all your gears. You're not on if you if the ground is moving below you and you land and the wheels are moving at the same speed, everything should be okay. Right. So you get, jump up in the air and you go rap, or you go rap rap. Well, usually we would go rap rap. And I get up in the air and I, I was like, oh yeah, I remember they said they were pushing up that race ramp. That was a really big jump. <laughs> and I'm in the air and I go rap rap rap. Rap, 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 rap. And then I landed. It was the cra- it was I was in the air for so long. I was like, can I be hanging for any longer? Everybody was talking about it. It was kind of nuts. Like, maybe a little big. <laughs> but, yeah, I get to tell stories for days when I'm an old lady. That's Let, the good takeaway.
0: There you go. I mean, when you become a grandmother... You're going yep, to be the monster have... truck driving grandmother.
2: Yep. That's all I ever want is like one day I just want to tell cool stories. And I was always telling my kids at the time, you guys should appreciate me more. I'm super cool. You know? <laughs>
0: I'm not like the mom down the street that just right. you know brings or- sliced oranges to soccer practice.
2: Right. I always <laughs> had to tell them I am so cool and I don't they didn't believe it even at the time. It didn't matter what your job was, you were still going to be like mom, you know.
0: Right. Did you ever have did you ever have a chance to go to like you know career day at school? Um, and say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm Nicole. I'm-, I'm
2: trying to think if I ever did that. Probably not. I don't no. know. Was- <laughs> but I, I do remember though, like dropping my son off at the bus stop and, and, uh, or no, 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 picking him up. Maybe I was picking him up. And anyway, his, my son's friend waved to me and I had, I didn't even know this little boy. And he waved to me and said, good luck this weekend at monster jam. And that's when I knew my kid was actually proud of me because he was telling his friends. You you're know, right. like, how did that kid know? And I was like, ah, you can act like you don't like me. I know you think I'm cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So let's talk about after Monster Trucks, you're, uh, you, you know, you, you're a YouTuber and Instagrammer. Yeah. And uh, you still work in construction?
2: Uh, you know, so I have a real estate license I've had since 2017. So I do real estate and I use my contractor's license when I need to like remodel or flip a house. So I, you know, don't do it except for through word of mouth. I don't advertise any of it. You know, it's like if you're somebody that knows me or knows somebody that knows me, I'll, I'll do it for you, but I'm not like yeah, I wouldn't say it's my full-time thing because okay. I do put a lot of time into cars these days, but, um, I still, of course I still do all that stuff, but so yeah, I mean, YouTube is a funny little universe and I wish, I really wish I'd started it sooner because, um, we've been doing it for about three years now and it is a slow, you know, progression and just, as anything, you just wish you had had some time under on your side. I wish I had started it sooner because there's a lot of competition out there now, but you know, Nicole Johnson's detour is a professionally produced show and in every episode I get to drive something new. And the whole, the way the show kind of came about is, you know, I used to, I've always loved to drive cars, anything. I used to pester my friends all the time. Let me drive your car. And I've always thought cars are cool. And I mean, I remember, you know, I would drive my dad's truck when I was 12, you know what I mean? And I don't know, I just always like to try new things. And so it's every single episode, you know, I get to drive whatever the subject car is. And I've gotten a chance now to drive some pretty spectacular cars. And because I spent so much time in off-road, you know, I didn't know a lot about the rest of the automotive planet. I didn't understand that there was a whole, you know, what classic cars are or resto mods or, you know, Japanese classic cars or rat rods. I didn't know what any of those things really were. I knew my dad was into hot rods and I didn't really understand or appreciate what I was looking at back then. Right. So, I get to explore all of these things. And every single time I drive a car, it's like I've never driven that particular car before. It's really fun. And I've driven, you know, even like to go do an episode with Cody Wagner. And believe it or not, I had never driven a rear steer rock buggy before. I had driven a rock buggy and I'd driven a rear steer monster truck, but I had never driven a rear steer rock buggy. And that's actually really cool. They're super capable. Yes. You know? So really fun. So and, do you
0: do you get to search the, the vehicles that you want to drive or oh, yeah. is there a and team it, that helps with that?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes, we definitely have several of us that are constantly scouring and looking. And, you know, sometimes it's just like nerding out on Instagram and finding somebody who's really cool. Um, or it's like going to a Cars and Coffee or networking, simply asking somebody, somebody, Who do you know with great cars? We've found them all different ways. And sometimes we find cars because people will send us an email right in and say, hey, I got this. You want to check it out? And, you know, they don't always kind of meet the criteria. But sometimes we get lucky and have found some really great cars just because they've come to us. But it is a lot of networking. So if you're listening to this and you know of something totally mind-blowing that we should know about, you know, hit us up, you know, send me a message. Because we're always looking for something great. And what I love is when we find the guy that nobody's ever heard of, who's got something totally crazy in his garage and he's just a one-man band. We love finding that guy. Right. You know? Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, what's, what's next?
2: What's next? You mean on the episode list or on the Nicole Johnson life tour? Life tour. <laughs> uh, total world domination.
0: That's a, that's a nice goal. Yeah. Yeah. I figure
2: if I fall short of that, maybe something else, you know, maybe, maybe something else I'll be happy with.
0: Just, just Um, a country or two.
2: Just a country or two would also work. Yeah. So I, I think that right now I'm super focused on having a variety of driving experiences. Like I went, you know, I've spent some time on a, on track recently. Um, and, and we actually have a Porsche Boxster that Frank has caged and turned into a track car, specifically so I can have more high-speed performance driving experiences. Because having off-road experiences don't necessarily translate. And so I'm trying to get as much seat time as I can in a variety of things. I, I spent a couple of days driving, like on an oval, like in a NASCAR-style vehicle. You know, right. just just turning left wiping out, spinning out, turning left. you know what I mean? And learning, understanding that and understanding that throttle control. And one of the other things that I'm super, super dying to do, it's on my huge wish list. We're we're trying to figure out how to make it work. Is I'd love to go to Dirt Fish Rally School. I want to go do like some private training up there and really come out understanding car control. I've never actually done drifting. Like I have drifted on dirt. That is not the same thing. You know, right. I would like to do... there's so many things I want to do that what I'm concentrating on is having such a variety of, of of experiences under my belt that I'm going to be the go to call Nicole. She can drive everything. It it doesn't mean I have to go be a perfect driver or be the world's best driver, but I want to be a driver of various things, you know, having all those various experiences under my belt. Sounds great. Mm -hmm. It's also a lot of fun. Yep. It's a lot of fun.
0: And you got a birthday coming up.
2: Oh yes, I'm going to be 29.
0: 29. And <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and how old are your the kids? Married- three. Three. <laughs> <laughs>
2: three. and five, and they're college graduates.
0: <laughs> smart they're kids. They're very smart.
2: They're so smart. I do have to tell you though, my youngest Kainoa won an Emmy this a uh, couple months ago really? for one of his work. Yeah, he graduated in broadcast journalism and at Utah State University and. One of his projects over the summer, um, he graduated in August, but over the summer, his professor submitted for a student Emmy Award, and he won. And additionally, his girlfriend in the same major won an Emmy for one of the pieces she produced. So we're really, really proud of them. Matching They're just great. And he, helped, yep, and he helps us on our show. hes He edits, he helps us shoot, and he's just great. So I'm really proud to say that. My son wanted Emmy. There you go, excellent. I'm a proud mama. I'm a proud mama.
0: Should be, should be. Mm-hmm. That's excellent.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: Nicole, I want to say thank you so much for for spending the time and and talking more about your life. A lot of this I knew from the rock crawling days, you know, the earlier stuff. But you know, I I love the description of of the backflip and, you know. The racing and stuff—it's just—it's uh, awesome.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm so grateful that you reached out, and I hope that um, I hope that you also get to total world domination in the podcast <laughs> land. That's the goal. Just I'm total just having world domination. Fu- I'm
0: just having fun doing it. Me too. Excellent.
2: <laughs> well, it's awesome. I appreciate it. I big hugs to your whole family. Love you guys. And I really hope that I get to see you in person sometime soon, because it's been a really long time. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. We need to, we need to hook up. Sounds good.
2: Yeah. Okay. And, uh, well, thank you so much. Say hello
0: to Frank for me. It's been a long time to talk to him too. I'll,
2: I'll give him a big kiss for you.
0: There you go. <laughs> all right, Nicole. Thank you <laughs> all so right. much. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening mm-hmm. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.